let's transition into the sermon, Matthew chapter 6. Let's see if we can get to chapter 7. In our collective subconsciousness, there is a desire or an attraction to mythical lands, magical kingdoms, if you will. Uh, just think about um, uh, Shangri-La. It is a, it's a mythical city somewhere hidden in the hills of Tibet where monks live forever and the atmosphere is pure peace. Sounds familiar, right? Or Camelot, like this quest for Camelot and King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table and their, 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 their desire for royalty and chivalry. The very concept of chivalry comes down from that quest for Camelot and that I, the, the idealism of kingship and lordship. And then there's oh, Avalon is another mythical city. El Dorado, the mythical city made of pure gold. And, it, and again, it's a place where you drink the waters and you live forever. Sounds familiar, right? And probably one of my favorites is Atlantis. This ancient city that was dedicated to knowledge, wisdom, and, and the, the, uh, the very pride and honor of humanity itself. Now, unfortunately, none of these places exist. If you take me out to coffee, I might tell you otherwise. But we don't have any proof that any of these places existed. But they, they, they serve a very important purpose, that humanity is attracted to these mythical lands. Let me put it into like some very practical... Um, applicable, applicable terms. Disneyland. Like the magical kingdom. That like, yeah, we go there to be entertained. We go there for the rides. Um, but have you noticed like there's even a difference between Disneyland and Magic Mountain? Oh yeah. What's the difference? It's the magic, right? It's, the, it's like this magical kingdom. And so we go there, we go to, and I, 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 I'm not going to bash Disneyland, I promise. But I, I want to I I highlight to you what, what it does. So we, we go there to go to this magical land. To go to the, the kingdom, or some mouse is the king, right? And if you've been lately, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay to go to Disneyland, right? It is not cheap but you do it freely. And it is very easy to get in, isn't it? You notice that? You notice how easy it is to get into Disneyland these days? The parking structure is awesome. Everything's marked out easily. They've got this big giant open courtyard in order to get in. Like they get you in, they get you moving, and then they exit you through the gift shop, right? It's amazing. Like I, I really do have a lot of respect for Disneyland. It's, it's cool. I think Universal Studios is giving it a run for the money, by the way, because they're also tapping into this magical kingdom. What they've done with Harry Potter land will blow your head off. It's absolutely the coolest thing, and they've got a really cool French Quarter, too. 
Like they, they need to like give me some kickbacks here because I'm really selling it hard, aren't I? But you see, we, we have this desire to go to a magic kingdom. And to, in a sense, serve, be a part of something very special. And the reason why we do this as humans is because it's wired into our, like again, our collective subconscious and maybe quite honestly the way that God has designed us spiritually. Like we want to go to the magic kingdom. And again, it's not entertainment. Our spirit desires that place. Don't you think? Our spirit desires it. No matter how cool Disneyland is or Harry Potter land is, they are a counterfeit of the real kingdom. They're really cool, probably really close counterfeit. But do you know that they're, they're a counterfeit of the real kingdom? A kingdom, a true kingdom, God's kingdom. When we're talking in the, in the, in the book of Matthew, as we begin to unpack what the kingdom of heaven actually is. We have some interpretations in our church of what we believe the kingdom of heaven is. Bible tells it, we're going to read in a second, it is heaven on earth, just like Shangri-La, El Dorado, Atlantis. No, it, it, Jesus' kingdom is heaven on earth. And what we do know about kingdoms is that a kingdom has a king. So imagine your Christian life as you're entering into one of these magical realms. Pick one. Imagine yourself going, you know, if you're, if you're more bent towards Eastern stuff, imagine, you know, the kingdom of heaven is a lot like Shangri-La, where everybody gets to live forever in peace. A kingdom always has a king, and Jesus is our king. A kingdom has subjects, and guess what? That's you. Imagine yourself as a subject in the kingdom of heaven. Very difficult for us Americans to do, right? But when you, when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, that needs to be the attitude and that needs to be the position of our hearts. In order to access the magical kingdom of heaven, you have to, you have to kneel low. You have to go low. You need to realize that you are the subject of the king. Paul even pushes it a bit further. Paul calls himself and identifies himself as a slave to the gospel of Jesus. Kingdoms have kings. Kingdoms have subjects. Kingdoms have territory. Like, what would Disneyland be without the actual physical place? You have to have territory in order to be influential and to have authority and to have power in a kingdom. Uh, this is really cool because we have our own church, right? It's not a digital church. I'm not saying that not, you can't have territory in the digital world, but we actually have a physical, tangible place where us subjects can come and worship our king. It's very important, in my opinion, that the kingdom of heaven has physical territory. So here's the interesting thing about churches, and maybe most of us don't get it. Uh, this little territory, this little fiefdom, who does it belong to? Is it mine? Even though that I'm the lead pastor? No, who's the king? Jesus is. 
who actually owns this building? Is it the board? No, it's Jesus. And once again, I'm a, I'm a serf, I'm a subject, I'm a slave, I'm here to serve the king, and so is the board. And if you are in leadership in the church, that's your attitude too. It's a very difficult thing for, again, once again, it's a very difficult thing for us Americans to get our, our mindset around the idea that you are here to serve a king. Talking with, um, I'm getting myself out of the church walls more and more. I'm having more real conversations with real people. Not that you're not real people. But you know, like, it's amazing when you have a conversation and the individual doesn't know that you're a pastor. I am so fascinated right now that every conversation that I'm having with people and they don't know who I am, they turn to spiritual discussions. And I don't even bring it up. So what is that? It's telling me that there's a hunger inside of our communities and our societies, and there's a need and there's a desire, and there's an attraction to heaven. It's coming out. It's bubbling up all over the place. It's people that are lost all over the place, and they're hungry for something. They don't know what it is, and again, they'll go to Disneyland to fulfill that spiritual need. I'm not bashing Disneyland, but that's what they'll do. The other thing that they'll do is that they'll binge watch horror movies. Or I'm a big sci-fi fan, don't get me wrong, like, I will binge watch Battlestar Galactica, Lord of the Rings, all day long. That's my temptation. But you've got to be aware that, like, sometimes what we focus on and what we watch on TV, like, they can be counterfeits of what God really wants to do. It's like spiritual junk food. You've got to be wary and mindful of what you're actually putting into your soul through the lenses of your eyes. So what do you think? What, what, what's really going on in our culture, in our society, and in our own selves? Th this desire that we have. Let's take a look at what Matthew says. Now Jesus, he is our king. He is the lion and the lamb. Have you heard that? Jesus is also the the king and the priest. Have you heard that before? And he's also the prophet and the teacher. He's the prophet and the sage. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is in full-blown sage mode. He is in, he's teaching. He is instructing. I want to encourage you guys to read the Sermon on the Mount this week. It's chapter 5, which we went over last week. Chapter 6 and chapter 7. Read the whole thing in its context. You need, to, you need to look at the whole sermon in one big snapshot because it's really difficult when you begin to you know, pick apart pieces. But Jesus is he's in, he's in professor mode. He's teaching us. And, as, and if you want to look at it, for the sake of time, I, got, I can't go into everything. But if you, if you read it, you're going you're gonna to see some very practical instructions, and they're written in red letters in your Bible. That means like, that Jesus is saying it himself. It's, it's the coolest thing in the world that we actually have Jesus' words. We get to read them directly. And the red stuff is, honestly, it's more important than Paul's letters. We spend way more time on Paul's letters because Paul's mind is so fascinating. But what Jesus says is pure, it's direct, and it's to the point, 
And the Sermon on the Mount, it is, it's the longest discourse that we have in the New Testament, meaning that this is the longest uh, talk that Jesus gives. And again, he's teaching. He is the teacher in this moment. And what he tells us, he says things like, be aware of your vanity. Life is more than clothes. Life is more than appearance. So he, he, he says, look, God himself, who values the, the, the flowers in the fields, and he dresses them, and like if he loves you like that, why are we worrying about our clothes? And so he talks about vanity. He talks about worry. He talks about he talks about how greed can disrail you. In, the, in, this, in this sermon, chapter 5, he even talks about how do you practically deal with difficult people in your life that have hurt you. It, it, it's amazing. He goes bit by bit, line by line. That like in chapter 5, there are nine very specific things that will answer some of our problems. They're practical. They're almost even tangible. Jesus even teaches us how to pray word for word. In verse 33, you know this prayer. It's the most powerful prayer that we have. It's the most instructive prayer that we own. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's very, again, it, it, Jesus says, it's instructional, it's positional, our Father. If you want to even push it a little bit further, Jesus even begins to call uh, our Father Abba, which is the most primal connection to God the Father that we have. It's the connection that a, that a helpless baby cries. I, I think that most kids, most babies say dad before they say mom, right? I know, that's cause I'm stirring the pot here. My kid did. <laughs> Dang right. Um, but it says our Father, and so... Our Father, and where is he? He's in heaven. So that's, like, in your prayer life, that will actually help if you start off that way. If you start off from a relationship basis, God, you're my Father, you're in heaven, and then what's the next line? Hallowed be thy name. You're holy, like you are, you, you, like you're pure beyond imagination. Like, I have such a hard time relating to you because you're so holy. Holy is your name. This is the same idea that we get, you know, the, a healthy fear of the Lord. It's, it's not the fear of punishment. It's like the fear, it is the, the awe of being in God's presence. Hallowed be thy name. And then this is the fun part. This is what we've been trying to get into our heads. This is the Shangri-La and the Camelot and the El Dorado of the story. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Like, again, the fam familiarity breeds contempt. You've heard this passage many, many times, and it just kind of rolls off. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? He's saying, on earth as it is in heaven. That is just crazy. It's crazy talk to think that we can actually experience heaven on earth, but deep down inside, you know that your soul is saying, yeah, let's, just, let's, let's look for it. Let's search for that mythical place. And Jesus is saying, Atlantis might not be real, but my kingdom is. Isn't that cool? On earth as it is in heaven. 
And then Jesus gets really practical. So he, you know, he takes the pie in the sky and the clouds away and says, give us this day our daily bread. He's out to meet your physical needs. You might not need like a loaf of bread, but maybe you need some other kind of bread, right? Because life is hard. It's difficult to make all the ends meet. So Jesus is very concerned about your practical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's the fun part, which affects our very soul, our emotions, our will, our character, that your personality quirks, the things that maybe are messing up your life right now. You ready? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors. It is actually positioning our hearts to be one that expresses grace and receives grace. Jesus will go on to say in chapter 7, uh, I'll forgive you, but you know what? How about if you start forgiving people first? That's hard, isn't it? Like, we all have this picture that, that Jesus is all, you know, the lovely little lamb and he's sweet, but he also says some very hard things. To say things like, the reason why you're not walking in grace is because you haven't learned how to administrate it yourself. Jesus says, I want to give you more grace. I want to give you more breakthrough. I want to show you more favor. But you need to start loving your brothers and sisters better until you get some more, until I can entrust you with some more. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, there's a real battle going on. And in Mark, it's... Um, he doesn't say this in Matthew, but Mark says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beautiful, powerful prayer. If you don't know how to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer until it starts, like, like even like memorize it, say it over and over, meditate on it, meditate on the relationship aspect of it. Isn't that very practical? If you ever have a hard time praying to God, you don't know what to say, you feel like you're going crazy talking to yourself, like just say this one. Just say this one until it starts getting into your head. If Jesus is okay praying it, why can't we pray it too? It's a good prayer. Now, all of these very practical teachings. Talks about the kingdom of heaven. Talks about getting yourself right. Talks about vanity. Talks about um, you know, giving to the poor, making sure that your right hand doesn't know what your le left hand is doing. I'm going to highlight one of my favorite ones. Uh, this is this is verse 22. He says that the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great will that darkness be? Jesus is even saying that we need to be careful about what we even look at. We need to. monitor what our eyes are seeing. And, and we can definitely relate to this, right? Like, we, we just know this. Like, if I'm, if I'm watching too many dark things, it's going to affect my emotions directly. But Jesus is also saying, we need to change our perception of what is reality. Like, what we're experiencing here isn't necessarily reality. Now, again, this is stuff that you'd want to teach your junior high boy, right? <laughs> you want to teach your junior high boy 
to limit their time on the phone or your junior high girl or maybe yourself. You know that like in April we have uh, the national get off your phone month. Like, like the, and I'll be, I love my technology. I'll be the first to admit that I'm probably spending too much time on it, but there's mental health consequences to the phone. Depression and suicide are skyrocketing, and the experts can't figure it out right now. They think it's the phone's problem. I don't know what the I think it's a spiritual problem, frankly. Now, Jesus then goes on to say one of the most fascinating statements in the whole world. In one fell swoop, Jesus gives us the answers to every single problem we have. In one sentence, he addresses all this practical stuff, all the stuff that we need to pay attention to and focus on, and then he does something that completely flips the whole thing upside down. He takes it from practical to a very subjective truth that we've got to get says, um, are you guys worrying? Are you guys fretting? Is there anxiety that's taking hold? Are your problems becoming too much for you? Jesus says, do you want to know what the answer is to every problem you have? Don't you? I do. Do you want to know what the answer is to every single problem you have? Do you want to know what the meaning, the actual meaning of life is? And he says this. Again, I want you to see the shift from the practical to the subjective, from the tangible to the spiritual. He says, here's the answer to everything that you worry about. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. The Lord knows what your needs are. He knows what they are even before you ask. So the answer to your problem is, is to seek heaven. Like, like, how do you do that? How do you actually do that? In uh, chapter 7, I preached this before. Many preachers preach this. Chapter 7 says, Jesus says, again, it's in the red letters. The, the path to heaven is, is it wide like Disneyland? Narrow. It's narrow. Jesus says, I am the gate, but the path is narrow. In order to get into heaven, you've got to walk the straight and narrow path. You've heard this before, right? The straight and narrow, it's very, like, it makes a lot of us feel uncomfortable, right? So this is like one of the favorite go-tos for hellfire and brimstone preachers, right? Like, you don't walk the straight and narrow path, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Maybe that's true. I don't know. And, and, I, and I've, I've highlighted that before. It's like, look, like, like Jesus says, only a few, only a few are going to get into heaven. How does, that, <laughs> how does that make you guys feel? I'm going to spin it just a little bit. Because if heaven itself, if eternity itself is so hard to get into, supposedly from Jesus, that path is narrow. Why wouldn't that apply to heaven on earth as well? 
Think about it. I don't know about you. I want to access heaven on earth right now. And what Jesus is saying is, okay, you really, really want that? You really want that next level of connection with God? You want the Shangri-La, the El Dorado, the Camelot, the Atlantis? It's, it's a narrow path. Like here on earth, it's a narrow path. Just thinking about different movements and churches that frankly function at a higher level of anointing than we do. I'm very, I love our church. We function at a very high level of anointing. What does that mean, Josh? It's like, what that means is when, when Kim talks about the healing of the body and the way that it's almost contagious, that, that's the kingdom of heaven, everybody. Did you see? Jesus demonstrates his kingdom not by saying, hey, I'm the king and here's my crown. He, he demonstrates his kingdom by his authority and by the power that's expressed on the planet. And you have it. If you've, in, if you've invited Jesus into your heart, you have authority and you have power. Inside of God's kingdom, it is very strange. It is, it is very upside down. And yes, you are a servant. Yes, you are a slave to Jesus. But again, he flips everything upside down. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. Because then he begins to say crazy things like, you know, you're going to be my children. You're going to be my sons. And you're going to be my daughters. Wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm all confused, Lord. I thought you said we were slaves and subjects. Yeah, yeah, that's true but you're also my sons and my daughters, right? Isn't that cool? And then he pushes it a little bit further. Jesus even calls us royalty. Like, you've gotta, we've got to get this into our heads. Like, you're, you, go to, you go to Disneyland, you are a subject to the mouse. But you go into God's kingdom, you, are, you become royalty and they're going to put Cinderella's dress on you. Maybe not on me. That would not be a good thing. I don't know. Who's the guy heroes? They're all a bunch of sissies anyway. Let's get, um, what's a good guy hero from Prince Charming? I don't want to be Prince Charming. Um, the Beauty and the Beast. How about, how about if I be the Beast instead? Can I be the Beast? I've got enough back hair for it. Ew! <laughs> okay. You move into God's kingdom. You take on this identity of royalty. What we were talking about and praying about in our, in our, in our leadership meeting is the actual thumbprint and the identity of God that's on you. One of the great illustrations that came up, it wasn't mine. It was one of somebody else's original thought. I think it was Pastor Mike's. When I get my phone out and when I want access to the kingdom of the world wide web, my, my thumbprint can actually open it up. When we get the mark of God on our lives, his thumbprint can access that kingdom in us. We need, to, we need to get that identity into us, deep inside of us. Jesus doesn't even stop there by calling us royalty. Jesus says we're co-heirs with Christ, which makes absolutely no sense at all. Slave, subject, child, children. 
dumb sheep. Oh, no, yeah, you're like co-heirs with Christ, and, and you're, you're, on the, you're on the throne with him. What? We're on the throne with Christ? Uh, from our nativity, we brought up Herod's throne. We put it in the lobby. I don't know if you've seen it. It's kind of hard to miss, right? The reason why I did it is because Jesus is the better Herod. Like Jesus, that's his throne. It wasn't Herod's throne. Herod was a psychopath, maniac, murdering, amazing builder, but he was nuts, evil. Quite possibly the demon possessed. He was demon possessed, but like maybe by a big principality. That was Jesus' throne. He's the king. He's the king of the Jews. But he's also king of this world. He's the king of our hearts. I want to challenge you today to change the way that you see yourself inside of his kingdom. Like, deal with the stuff. Deal with the practical things that Jesus talks about. Get your soul in the right position. Seek first that magical kingdom, that divine place that's in your heart. You'll see it begin to manifest in your everyday life. You seek first his kingdom. Everything will be added unto you. Like your heart's breaking, but you can't pay your bills. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And that doesn't mean that you don't work your tail off. I know I've tried this one. Oh, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to do a Bible study all day long. I'm not going to beat the bushes. Chapter 7, this is why you've got to read the whole thing in its context. Chapter 7 says, you knock on that door, you knock on that door, you knock on the door, then it will be open. You seek and you're going to find. You work the problem until it's fixed. Now you seek first the kingdom of heaven and that job position that you're working for, like you're going to find favor and it's going to happen someday. But you've got to put God first. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness then all of these things will be added unto you. The relationship breakdown that you can't fix. How many people figured out you can't fix people's problems? Did I get an amen on that one? You know, you can't, you can't dictate how people feel. You can't manipulate them into acting a certain way. You can't, uh, you can't fix the issues. You can't fix the stuff. And we manipulate and we control and we do all this crazy stuff and it's not going to work. You seek first the kingdom of heaven. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. You, the, the situation, the pain, the hurt, the heartache, you offer that to the Lord. It's his problem and not yours. And then you say, God, I'm seeking and I'm knocking and I'm looking for a solution. To wait upon the Lord does not mean that you get lazy. That to wait upon the Lord is an active verb that's used in the Bible. That means that you are waiting, looking, and you're going to pounce. When the job position hits, you jump on it because you're waiting on the Lord. Amen? Waiting on the Lord is not passive. Waiting on the Lord is, I'm going to hide in this bush till that animal comes by and I'm going to jump out and kill it. That's waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is, I'm, I'm, my, my optics have changed. I'm looking for opportunity. I'm looking for kingdom. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait until I see your hand move, and then I'm going to move, and I'm going to act on it because I'm seeking, I, I'm, I'm actively seeking first the kingdom of heaven. Now, are you actively seeking a miracle in your life? I am. 
I've got a couple of them. I'm actively seeking breakthrough in those areas. And this is what I think Jesus is saying. Narrow is that road. It's not that you have to work hard to get it, but you've got to walk the walk, literally talk the talk. Narrow is that word, that, 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 that path for breakthrough in the kingdom of heaven here and now. Now, I want to encourage you. Let me get the band and the ushers to come to the front. I want to encourage you today. You have my permission to sit in the throne because you're co-heirs with Christ. You have my permission to say, all right, I need to change my very identity. I need to view myself as royalty. You can sit in the chair if you want. It's so cool to see our kids sitting there. Have you seen pictures of our kids sitting in it on Facebook and stuff? Do you, do you see what's really going on? It, it's that heart of a child. It's that childlike faith. What God wants from us is to have a childlike faith. He wants me to sit on the throne, stretch out. I took the youth group when I was a youth pastor. I took the youth group to Our Lady of Angels. And uh, we were walking. Have you been to the cathedral? It's absolutely, it's a masterpiece. You need to go just for the architecture itself. So I got all these really rowdy kids in this sacred space. And a nun walks up to us. She says, hey, do you want to go sit in the Pope's, or the, the Cardinal's chair? I said, we can do that? She said, yeah, let's go. I'm like, all right. I got every single one of those kids to sit in his chair. Isn't that the coolest thing in the world? Of course, there was some religious fanatic there that thought we were like it was blasphemous. He actually said that. He actually called out in the, in the cathedral, blasphemy! <laughs> and the sweet little nun says, sit down. <laughs> and I probably what she was really saying, this isn't your kingdom now, is it? Doesn't matter how much you give, it's not your kingdom. No? All right. God, right now, I pray right the special blessing on this church. I pray that you just continue to work on our identity, that we can work the problem, that we can knock on those doors, that we, when we seek, that we will find. But I pray right now that, 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 that our heart's desire to enter into a mystical, mythical kingdom, like you put that desire in our hearts. And I, I pray that we would just continue to go after that, to go on the quest to go on a quest for the kingdom of heaven, here and now, heaven on earth, as Jesus said. Give us this day our daily bread, but we choose to seek first the kingdom of heaven. You're so good. You're faithful all the time. Give us the courage to walk that narrow road.